Hello and welcome to Stories of Scotland, a podcast where we take a look at the history and heritage of Scotland. Well, we usually do. I'm Jenny. And I'm Annie. And yes, this week we're taking a break from our usual format to bring you two of our favourite mini-myths that we have found during our research for various episodes. Yes, and the reason for doing this is that we have been absolutely overwhelmed by the kind words and support that we have received from all around the world for our wee podcast. We have had listeners reach out from all over the world, from just down the road in Dingwall to America, Canada, Germany, New Zealand and Australia and Japan. Yes, it's so heartwarming to see that people from all across the globe feel a very special connection with Scotland and want to learn more about the history and heritage of this intriguing country. We appreciate every single one of you listening, and it makes making this podcast worth it. And many of you tell us that you can't get enough, and wish that there was more content. And some of you have even been so kind as to ask if you could support us and our efforts with the podcast. And so we have created a Patreon for just this. Make it possible for both of these wishes to be fulfilled. Just call me your fairy godmother. Jenny, I'm always going to think of you as my fairy gremlin. I quite like that, actually. You know, I think I'll take that one over fairy godmother. There's loads of them everywhere. So if you don't know, Patreon is a way to subscribe to your favourite creators and support their content creation. Now, if you become a patron of our podcast through Patreon, <laughs> then we'll make some fun new content for you. And it would really help us out as we write and improve this podcast that we are trying to make wonderful for everyone. Yeah. We just make Stories of Scotland out of our love and enjoyment of Scottish heritage. And we do have so much fun making this podcast. But if you're in a position to give a little something for all of the work that we put into the podcast, then please go along to patreon.com slash stories of Scotland. And so we've decided to release this episode as a taster of some of the new mini-episodes that we will be creating for our Patreons. So we'll be regularly releasing a mini-myth and five-minute fairy tale for the ears of our subscribers. Yes, some of the little myths are going to be a bit cheeky or a bit frivolous, but always in their own way uniquely enchanting. But we're going to carry on with the regular podcast as well because it's become embedded in our lives <laughs> in a way that neither of us really, really saw coming. <laughs> so, Jenny, I've seen you rummaging around our bookshelves, especially my section, <laughs> the old dusty section, which you are normally very restricted mm -hmm. from going into. Mm -hmm. Because usually you've got some kind of sticky substance on your fingers. Mm -hmm. But you've been looking for our first miniature myth. That, and I have been selling a lot of money, eBay. <laughs> <laughs> the look of horror on your face. I'm joking. <laughs> I use Amazon. It's much more simple. Yes, Annie, I admit it. I have been in your restricted section of the bookshelf, but... I have found a wonderful myth to start with because it blends lots of different areas of mythology. We have fairies and ghosts and water spirits and I thought we'd jump in headfirst with these. Excellent. So whereabouts geographically are we heading for this medley of folklore and myth? We're going down, all the way down to the Scottish borders. This strange tale takes place many moons ago 
in a wee town by Blawhoolie Bay. This is tucked away on the Solway coast, just a stone's throw from the English border. There was a laird who lived in this hidden wee corner of Scotland, and his name was Sandy McCraig, and he was doing he was doing all right for himself, you know? He had three acres of peatland, he had a few kelp farms, seven good milking cows, and a couple of sheep, so he's a bit of a catch for the time. <laughs> and it just so happened that he also had a decent personality. And with the whole package, he managed to woo the most beautiful woman in the surrounding parishes. Why does it always have to be beautiful? <laughs> Why can't she just have some valuable life skills? Ah, well, Annie, you see, the most beautiful thing about Morag was that she was a midwife. And a very good one at that. She was a very skilled and valuable person to have around. She was also into sketch comedy and could whistle a really good tune. And also very helpful in lambing season. So she's a very well-rounded person. One minute, let me just check the dusty book. It mentions nothing about sketch comedy here, Jenny. Ah, she was ahead of her times. <laughs> so when Sandy and Morag were wed, all the men in the area were really sad at the loss of the chance to marry this wonderful lass. And so, naturally, they all got outrageously drunk together, down to their last pennies. And I won't lie, Annie, on this night there was the odd muttered curse here and there, but just under the breath, and it, they weren't really meant, more fueled by alcohol and dancing. The next morning, though, once all their hangovers had abated, the villagers were really truly delighted for this young and prosperous couple. Well, that's lovely. Mainly because there was still lots of wedding cake left over. You know, <laughs> I learned an old trick from my granny to bring Tupperware to a wedding. <laughs> it's a good old frugal Scottish tip. That if you bring Tupperware to your wedding, just keep it in your wee handbag. Mm -hmm. There's always too much wedding cake. That's very true. It's either that or you go to give it to the bride. And she's like, oh, Tupperware for me. And you're like, oh, no, sorry. That's mine. Here's your card <laughs> with a fiver in it. <laughs> but at the end of the day, they were all very happy for the couple and also thought very highly of the bond of holy matrimony. However, there were creatures of the world who do not share the joy of others who see something that they want and who desire nothing more than to steal it and destroy it. Unfortunately for our beautiful midwife, she had captured the attention of admirers who wanted nothing more than to kidnap her and steal her away. But these were not the folk of the village. No, these creatures had crept out from the edges of mythology. The fairies and elves and spirits of the land, strange monsters and weird hybrid beasts, they were so impressed and enamoured with this multi-talented and a hilarious young woman that they had fallen in love with her too. Oh. Oh, indeed, Annie. And so while the villagers went back to their regular affairs, the magical creatures got to plotting. And plotting and plotting. Eventually, after three years... Wait a minute. Three years? <laughs> what are these creatures plotting? An entire fantasy book series? <laughs> Yeah, yep, and it would be called um, Ocean's Elf Evan. Because <laughs> they were out to steal some serious treasure. Well, our talented stand-up comedy midwife certainly did not write that joke, because that is awful, Jenny. You know, Ocean's Elf Evan, how did you even think of that? <laughs> I was under pressure. <laughs> so one night, three years on, when the mist was thick and the wind was low, Sandy left Morag and their three wee bairns and headed down to the bay to fish. Now he headed down to a calm spot that sat between two ancient wrecked vessels 
and between the two he stood and cast his nets. No sooner than his net had hit the water did the two ancient wrecked boats come to life, for they were haunted and filmed with ghosts and ghouls, fairies and water demons, all hooting and shouting into the night. Sandy looked up at the boats frozen in terror as a shrill voice called out, Oh, brother, what are you doing now? And another, even shriller voice replied, I'm making a wife to Sandy McGreg. And the two ghost ships erupted with laughter. Sandy did not think it was funny, though, and realised very quickly that it was a trap. But just before a ghoul was able to reach out and grab him, he bolted back home and locked the doors. He grabbed Morag and he grabbed their children and he grabbed their Bible. And they huddled round their fire and began praying incessantly. But he did not want to terrify Morag and the children or let them know of the danger that they were in. And so he swore to himself to not tell them what had happened. So what happened next? So a few hours later, around midnight, there came the sound of hooves rushing up outside and soon the rider was off the horse and knocking at the door. Peeking from behind the window, they saw a strange figure outside, the dark figure of a man who seemed innocent enough. He was banging on the door, banging and saying that a woman in the village needed the midwife immediately, for a baby was being born. At this, Morag felt she must go and help, but alas, Sandy would not let her. He wouldn't even open the door to give the messenger some pain relief for the woman in labour. Why wouldn't he open the door? I mean, Morag is a midwife. This is her calling. Ah, but he was sure this was not an innocent messenger. It was some sort of trick by the supernatural creatures from the ghost boats. It must be some made-up story to trick Morag to go into the ghost ships and to grab her away and sail away with her to the land of mythology. But Sandy still refused to tell Morag this, and she became enraged at her husband as he returned to the hearth and continued praying. All of a sudden, she noticed a light outside, getting brighter and brighter, and as she rushed to the window, she smelt smoke and burning straw. The whole room was illuminated by a light so bright as well as heat, it seemed as if the barn and every animal inside it was burning. The noise and the heat and the brightness were tormenting Morag, but still, Sandy would not let her out to help the animals and put out the fire. And he still wouldn't tell her what was wrong. This is a horrible story, Jenny. <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I hate this one. This is what happens when you let me rummage around in your books <laughs> by myself. <laughs> I mean, if I hear one of our chickens clucking outside in even a slightly unhappy way, I'm running outside to check that Aggie Stardust is okay. <laughs> and she is. She's the chicken that cries Bengal cat all the time. She is. But maybe Queen of Scotch Eggs is quite a delicate flower. <laughs> and I'll give you that. And Nicola Sturgeon, well, she's the only voice of reason. <laughs> she just wants her freedom after all. <laughs> but I don't understand why Sandy isn't just telling Morag about the ghost and the monster boat that threatened her. Oh, well, she would think that he'd gone mad. She wouldn't believe him, and then she'd push him out the way and she'd run out to help the animals. Either way, they remained inside until daylight finally came. Whereupon, slowly leaving the house, they found, propped up against their untouched and unburnt barn, a piece of black, rotted ship oak, crudely fashioned into the form of a human, and on it, the remains of flesh and blood. So... The 
barn wasn't burned after all. Are the animals okay? Yes, all the animals were fine and Sandy had been right. The barn burning was only an illusion sent by the ghosts. The animals were all happy and smiling in the morning as much as animals can smile. And their chickens had laid eggs and they hadn't batted an eyelid. All slept like logs. Oh, that's that's good. Just not cursed ship logs. <laughs> <laughs> so what was this weird piece of ship oak that had blood and remains on it? Ah, you see, the ghosts and the fairies had all got together and made a golem scarecrow out of a piece of their ship, which they had animated with their dark magic to pretend to be the messenger. There had never been a woman in labour. It was all a ruse. Typical ghost ruse. You're telling me. <laughs> now the ship oak was all that was left behind by these ghosts and monsters and fairies who had tried to hunt this innocent woman. So Sandy called the town elders and told them what had happened. They all gathered to inspect this cursed object and decided that it must be burnt. And so the town had a huge bonfire and threw this rotten mischief wood into the flames. The magical creatures out to steal Morag had been defeated and when the fire had finally burnt out, a precious metal drinking cup made by the fairies themselves was all that remained. Morag took this cup and handed it to Sandy, asking him to take a drink from it and make an oath to always tell her the truth from then onwards. For she was a midwife and a nurse and a sketch comedian, so she understood the dangers of the world like no other people could. This cup is said to have been passed on down through the generations of the family ever since, with not one iteration being able to tell a lie. Wow, Jenny. You like that? You like that, Annie? <laughs> Happy ending in the end, you know? Like, he learned his lesson while also keeping his wife safe. I don't know. I feel that he was a bit controlling of her. Mm. I mean... Imagine that was happening in our house and... I was holding you back from the chickens? If you were holding mm. me back from the chickens... I wouldn't, that would be it. I'd be out cuddling my chickens. You'd be, you'd be out attacked by some ghost mob out for your soul. You know? <laughs> you never know these days. I might like the ghost mob. Who knows? Right? It sounded like they were having a good time on the boats. And they wouldn't write sketch comedians into all of my old books. Look, Annie, they are boring and dusty, so I'm doing you a favour. You better have done it in pencil and not pen, Jenny. We're not doing this again. Okay, so I found a short story about a mischievous Kelpie who lived in Strathnairn, which is just south of Inverness. Now, we've spoken about Kelpies before. These are ancient spirits that are said to live in lochs or seas and appear to people in the shape of horses. Now, usually in folklore, the attitude of a Kelpie is at best a bit tricksy and at worst a bit murderous. <laughs> <laughs> now, I heard this story about this Kelpie told in an oral history by Isabel Grant, who actually founded the Highland Folk Museum. We've got her book on the shelf. Amazing. <laughs> so, Jenny, please could you read this for me? There was a house called Bryn in Strathnairn, a lovely rural town where everything was peaceful, almost too peaceful. The house was owned by a man of the Stuart clan. He was a good and honest man, and he knew to warn people of the dangers of the nearby lochen. For in this little loch, just an innocent 
quiet piece of water, perhaps home to some trout and tadpoles, there did in fact live a dangerous kelpie. If you looked over the lochin on a full moon, nothing seemed so peaceful any more, for there was a hard clash of hooves on the water. Steam would rise from the giant nostrils of this amazing horse apparition, completely made of water, and this kelpie did not eat trout. The story goes that there was a woman and her wain coming back from Inverness late at night, and they were both tired and weary. The kelpie saw them and took advantage of this. Being made of water, it was easy for it to change its shape into a pleasant, dreamlike, lovely horse. It approached the edge of the lochan, where the woman and her small child were making their path homewards. The little child's legs were sore from the excitement of Inverness, and he wanted nothing more than to hop on the back of the kelpie. However, his mother was a wise woman, and she was not fooled by the kelpie's disguise. She knew that under its gentle horse shape was an evil spirit that wanted to drag her child under water so that she would never see her beloved boy again. But it was too late. Her son had already reached out his hand and touched the kelpie, and the mother desperately reached and grabbed to stop him, but as his hand made contact with this ghostly horse, the whole night sky took a breath inwards, awaiting a tragedy to become of this little boy. However, his mother was quick-witted and had a little knife on her, in a split second, she made the heartbreaking decision to cut off her child's finger, the one that was stuck to the liminal other world of the kelpie. As she cut the finger, a horrible screech echoed throughout the gland, and the kelpie disappeared, splashing into the waters of the loch. Thanks, Jenny. Now, I've got some jingles. <laughs> and Isabel Grant tells us that the man who told her this folklore, who gifted her with this story, Mr Stewart, had also told her that There's one kind of waterweed that sort of clings and is very dangerous, and there was that waterweed in this here loch now. Yes, so the loch was an especially dangerous place, uh. which is probably why they had this this local mythology to sort of keep people away from it and keep them safe. Yes, um, but also Mr. Stewart gave his own eyewitness account of the Kelpie, so clearly a little part of him believed that it was simply the waterweed that was dangerous, and a little part of him believed in the Kelpie. I had been duck shooting and had a spaniel I was very fond of, a splendid dog who was loyal to his heart and I would take him with me as I went hunting for ducks. And one late evening, just afore I turned in, I managed to shoot a duck, but you see it was only wounded and it fell into the loch. Now, my dearest spaniel, such a good boy, he went to retrieve it, and though it was quite a good water dog, it suddenly got into great difficulties, so I tore off my coat to rush into the water to rescue the spaniel. Only the local gamekeeper was there too, and he said, Don't, sir. Please don't go in the lock, sir. There's a massive kelpie in it, and he wants to eat you. But I didn't listen to him, for that was my best dog, so I forced my way into the loch, and with the greatest difficulty I rescued the spaniel, but I swear it was something tugging on at the other side. And what happened next? Well, we both had duck that evening. You and the spaniel? Aye, and the kelpie had the gamekeeper. 
You got a deal? What you got a deal for your dog? <laughs> Jenny, I I really like how you've committed to this character, but when did you start smoking pipes? <laughs> <laughs> About six months ago when we wrote this. <laughs> <laughs> So I'd like to finish this short episode on one of my favourite poems, which I'd like to dedicate to our kind first Patreon subscribers. Now, a lot of people message us to say that they have a very special affinity with Scotland. And this reminded me of this Rabbi Burns poem. And it's such a beautiful poem. I think it sums up the way that a lot of our listeners feel about Scotland, that they have a very unique and precious bond with this country. So, Rabbi, are you ready? Oh, I. <laughs> <laughs> my heart is in the Highlands, my heart is not here. My heart is in the Highlands, a chasing the deer, chasing the wild deer and following the roe. My heart is in the Highlands. Wherever I go, farewell to the highlands, farewell to the north, the birthplace of valour, the country of worth. Wherever I wander, wherever I rove, the hills of the highland, forever I love. Farewell to the mountains, high covered with snow, farewell to the strath and green valleys below, farewell to the forests and wild hanging woods. Farewell to the torrents and loud-pouring floods. My heart is in the highlands. My heart is not here. My heart is in the highlands, a-chasing the deer, chasing the wild deer and following the roe. My heart is in the highlands, wherever I go. Oh, thank you so much, Jenny. I really loved that. This is also quite a special poem to me because someone I love very dearly <laughs> once sent me a letter with a drawing of a small and adorable warthog <laughs> lying in bed with a little nightcap on and a drum in its hand and a thought bubble above its head and inside the thought bubble were the words of this poem. Well, that is weird, Annie, but I'm glad it made you happy. <laughs> <laughs> And we hope that this episode also made you happy at home. If you'd like to hear more of these short Scottish myths and fairy tales, it would be wonderful if you could support us on Patreon, where we will be uploading more content soon. And don't worry, if you don't have the money to support us on Patreon, we still really appreciate it if you leave reviews, because it helps other people to find us online, or if you just subscribe to the podcast, or even just telling a friend that our podcast is good helps get the words out there and helps make it more viable for me and Jenny to keep putting as much time and love and strange little pieces of ourselves into this podcast. Strange little warthogs tucked up in bed. <laughs> now, saying that, I think it's time that these two little warthogs put themselves to bed. <laughs> Hope you're safe and well wherever you are in the world. Slangeva. Slangeva.
Please, Annie, don't don't over yourself over there. 